Today, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And we're going to be there the entire time, so you can just go right there, and we'll be in chapter 5 as well. And I was, as I was preparing this sermon, I was really excited to have a funny joke for you all about working in college ministry. Something, you know, about no matter what religion or background you're from, if you've been around, like, youth ministry or student ministry, um, there's just some, like, kind of typical stereotypes in your head about people who work in that, that kind of ministry. Um, they're way too extroverted. They're way too bubbly. Uh, usually they're too excited about life, and it's kind of annoying. Um, and as I was, like, writing this amazing joke, which I can already tell is going really, really well, um, I, I wrote down also that I, I fit most of those stereotypes, except that I'm bald, uh, I don't wear skinny jeans, and I don't have any tattoos. Um, I actually wrote down that entire joke and then realized afterwards I actually do have tattoos and I just kind of baffled myself that I forgot I had tattoos. So nice to meet you. My name is Owen. <laughs> so yeah, really, really excited to be with you all. Um, I love working at AU with the college ministry. There's some college students here. I know there's some watching at home and we love you, Sarah, Lexi, Matt, and I love you guys. We care for you. And also restoration. We love you guys. Um, yeah, just so encouraging, and I'm so excited to be with you all. So let me just pray for us really fast, and we'll get started. Um, Father, just thank you again that we can gather as your people. Um, I just pray that we would all just be compelled to love Jesus Christ with all of our hearts, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today we're going to close out, if you've been here the past few weeks or listening online, um, we're going to close out this mini-series we're going through, and today we're going to talk about what is love? What is love? And I'll say at the outset that it's a, it's a difficult question to get a complete answer for. It's, it's not always easy to define something like love. So imagine an alien was to come and land in your backyard. Well, maybe, well you don't have a backyard. Maybe land, land near your apartment and comes inside your apartment and points at a pillow and says, what is this? You know, it'd be pretty easy to define. You know, it's uh, made of cotton or feathers. You put your head on it so it's comfortable when you go to sleep. And maybe you say, you know, I love my pillow. And the alien might say, you know, what is love? And that's not as easy to define as a pillow, right? Like, how do you explain the difference of a love you have for a pillow versus the love you have for your child? Or the love you have for your wife versus the love you have for bacon, which sometimes feels strong. Uh, the love you have for, like, reading philosophy books and the love you have for serving others um, in different ways. Or how do you, like, explain, like, me personally, how do you explain that I love to pretend like my political views are the opposite of my, my mother and father-in-law just to make them upset. Like, what do you call that kind of strange, funny love? You know, and so how do you explain the difference between love as a noun and as a verb and as an adjective? If you say, you know, he is a very loving friend, or if you say, you know, he loves his family by sacrificing his time for them. And so all this to say, love is not as simple as just putting down kind of a one-size-fits-all definition and then moving on by just giving a few examples and illustrations. So what I want to do for, for this sermon as we consider from the Christian worldview, what is love? I want to be specifically just narrow during this sermon. So I'm not going to talk about everything there is with love in the Christian worldview, but I want to just focus on one specific aspect of love that is an extremely important aspect of love. And so I might not be going the route that you imagined when you first heard this sermon title. And I just hope you that you can stick with me nonetheless and that you'll be encouraged by it. And if, you are a, if you're not a believer in attending or if you're watching, then I'm, I'm so thankful you're here. And I'm especially hoping this is going to be a helpful sermon for you. And so I want to focus today on love in regards to our affections and our desires. So love meaning affections and desires. 
what you're you might you might be able to answer what ha, or what you long for or what you love by answering one of these questions what is it that most excites you in life what is it that when you wake up you're you're most excited for that week or for that month or that day what is it that that you treasure more than anything in life what is your most treasured possession and the answer to these questions can often reveal what it is that you love most that you have the most affection and desire for and the bible which christians which this church but christians throughout the centuries believe that is the word of god and is our source of authority the bible is actually very concerned with this topic of our affections and our desires maybe even more so than you would expect and it is a just a very prominent theme all throughout the bible but today i just want to focus on a few verses that that really center on this theme and i just want to work out this kind of topic of what is love for for all of you today so so how I'm going to start is by saying my my theme my theme of what is love, what is it uh, what is it that you love and most treasure and desire, and I'm going to work from there and I'll show you as I go through the sermon kind of how I get to this theme, but here is my theme it's like a one sentence overview of the sermon, is that Jesus Christ should be, and I want you to write the word my, right Jesus Christ should be my greatest love, Jesus Christ should be my greatest love. I want you to make that personal and I want you to just see and I hope I convince you from the Bible that this is what the Bible this is what God desires and actually commands of all of us is that Jesus is our number one love our number one treasure what we love and desire most and so let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 I'm going to read just two verses verses 14 and 15 for us right now and so chapter, the chapter number, if you've never uh, been familiar with the Bible, chapter number is the big number. So 2 Corinthians 5 and then verse 14 is that little number on your page. So here's the verse right here. For the love of Christ controls us because we have conclu concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so if you like taking notes and you like um, outlines, my sermon kind of has two main sections, two main points. Um, my first point is this question, what love is controlling you? That's my first point. And when I get to my second point, I'll read it for you. But let's just start with number one, what love is controlling you? So for just a little background of this letter, so it's a letter from this guy named Paul. He's a Christian. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to a group of Christians. And it's important to, to know that if you look in the verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. And so he's talking to this group of Christians there in Corinth, but he's not just saying like the love of Christ controls, you know, just us, but not other Christians. He's saying broadly, the love of Christ controls Christians. So every person who is a, a Christian, a true believer should be able to say and should have evidence that the love of Christ controls them is what Paul says. So he's speaking broadly about Christians there. And so I just want to start in verse 14, just with that first phrase, the love of Christ controls us. And I just want to clarify, I think this is important, that when Paul speaks of the love of Christ, he is not primarily meaning in this specific phrase, the, the love that Christians have for Christ. He primarily here is saying the love that Christ has for Christians, right? So, so not the love that, that me, Owen, has for Jesus Christ, but the love that Jesus has for me. And so this, this verse could be rephrased, Jesus Christ's love controls us. It's his love, it's not my love, that, that controls the heart. And we're going to see later in, this, in these uh, two verses about the Christian's love in response to Christ, but from the outset, we need to know that this is talking about 
this person, Jesus Christ, who, who he is, and his love directed towards Christians who are his people. And so just note that distinction if you're taking notes or if you're writing down your Bible. And so to, to talk about Jesus Christ now, I don't, I don't want to skip by and act like everyone here knows who Jesus Christ is. Just to give a quick background, it's not a comprehensive one, but it's a quick one. So Jesus was a man who claimed to be this long-awaited savior of the Jewish people. So the Jewish people are the people of God. If, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, um, God has chosen to love this group of people from Israel, the Jewish people. And Jesus comes and, and he is born and he starts to proclaim that he is this long-awaited person who is going to like, save the Jewish people from their oppressors and make everything like, right again, back to the glory of Israel and the, at the apex uh, in the Old Testament. Right? He is like, this long-awaited savior. And so the, the Jewish people, they thought that their oppressors, the, the Romans at that time, would be overthrown by this Messiah, that he would be an earthly leader, an earthly ruler, and he would be kind of like a, like, a, like a politician and like a warrior kind of wrapped in one in a sense. Like he is just going to lead the people to have this earthly dominance and rule. And so that's what, that's what the people thought the Messiah would be, and that's who Jesus claimed to be. But shockingly, Jesus, he did not overthrow any earthly powers. He did not lead any... Like, he was not a king, he was not an earthly ruler in any sense of, of that word, but instead, he was executed, actually, at the hands of the Jewish people's oppressors, the Romans, at the, at the young age of 33. And so this Messiah, who was supposed to live forever, they thought, and, and make everything right for them, had just died. And so to the Jews, it seemed that Jesus was a failure. It seemed that he just was a fraud, that, that he was not the Messiah. And so that's, that's a background. Then I want you to understand this. So this is written a few decades after Jesus died. And just notice this. Just notice this. Paul says the love of this man, Jesus, who died decades ago, who is this apparent mess, uh, fraudulent Messiah, his love controls present-day Christians. Now, that's a very, very shocking claim, right? That, that this man decades ago would literally be so impactful in these Christians that his love controls them. And so that's a shocking uh, claim, and it needs a lot of explanation. And so I just, I just want to start, first of all, talking about what it means to even be controlled by love, because it's kind of a strange phrase even there. And um, I think, you know, when you think about being controlled by love, it's really a beautiful reality. So the best way I can picture it is like a love for like a, like a husband for, their, for his wife. Um, he feels so overwhelmed with the love that his wife has for him, how she serves him and cares for him and thinks about him. And he's just so overwhelmed that it just totally just controls his life. So it's just an ever-present reality for him, right? So the lows he has in his life, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they're different because he has his wife that loves him so much to get through the, the, the low times and the trials. And truly every aspect of the husband's life is affected because his wife has this overwhelming love for him that just controls him. And so I think that's a, that's a good way to think about what it means to be controlled by love, this overwhelming sense of love. And it doesn't just need to be between like a relational love either. You know, like you can have, you can be controlled by a love. You know, it's, it's not a love that you're receiving, but you can be controlled by a love that you have for, for something. So take nature, right? If you, if you feel like nature is your greatest love, then when you're at work, you daydream about the weekend so you can go to the mountains, right? You, you save money so you can go on vacation to a beautiful beach, right? You watch every single Planet Earth episode and all the spinoffs, right? And so every person in the, in the world, every person here and at home has something that controls their heart, whether it's a person or nature or a hobby or money, whatever, whatever it is, there is something that is controlling you. And so I wonder, what, what is it that, that controls you, right? What is it that your heart most loves and desires? 
And so maybe maybe you've never thought this deeply or thought about this. It's it's not that hard to determine, actually. Think about the last time you had just a daydream and you were just longing for something or thinking of something deeply. Like what what was that? Or or what do you actually go to many times when you daydream? Right? What do you spend your money on? Right? So what would your bank account say is your greatest love? Um, what do you do in your free time, right? When the weekend comes, like how are you spending your time? What are you desiring to do? And answering these ways are some ways you can diagnose what it is that you love most. And here's a follow-up question that's extremely important and it might even be offensive to you, but I think we need to ask it. And I think the Bible would say we need to ask this, is, is what, what, whatever it is that is your controlling love, your greatest love, is that actually worthy of being your controlling love? Right? Does it does it deserve to have that place in your heart? So you might find that strange. Like, who is this guy to judge what I love most? Right? This is my personal matters. This is my business. What what I love is is up to me. Right? And if this is you, I just want to give you just a quick challenge. Just I, I thought of this example in my life. Um, one time when I was in college, I was on the beach uh, with a friend, and we were talking to this random guy we met. This really big, strong guy. And we were just, you know, talking to him and I asked him like what he was doing, like, wh like what's he doing in life? And he said, he's going to play football at a division one college. And we just started talking about that. He was so excited. You know, he's, he's about to be a freshman in a few months. So excited to play football in college. And my friend just point up point blank, asked this guy, like if tomorrow you were to break your leg and it was irreparable and you couldn't play football ever again, what would happen to you? And this guy like literally put his hands over his ears and like almost ran away from us and was like, it was like, I can't even think about that. I, I, I don't even want to think about that. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to me literally in my life if that was to happen. Like football is my everything. It is my dream. I live for football. I breathe, you know, like all this stuff. And so I want to, you know, just, just take a moment right now as I tell you this story. Just take a moment and be honest. Even if you believe that each person should decide what they love most, even if you believe that you shouldn't have any influence on what they love most and that's not your business, doesn't part of you say, is that really worthy of being your greatest love? A game like football, a game that, that, and I want to tell him this, I was a, I was a college baseball player at the time. And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't care how much you love football. I don't care if you're healthy. Like it's going to end. It's just going to end. Right. And you're going to be an absolute wreck. If this is like your, your greatest love and desire, it's just going to, it's going to fail you. Even if, even if you keep playing in the NFL, you're going to get cut. You're going to get hurt. Like it's going to end. Like no matter what you you want out of football, it will never be that that worthy that worthy number one love because it will fail you and let you down. And so I, I'm getting and I'm by the way I'm getting this line of thinking, and it's not just from like my opinion or just like philosophy, but that's what the, this is what the Bible says. Just again, all throughout the Bible, it reveals God. He he made each and every one of us, which is just incredible, and he made us. And the Bible says that he made us with desires like he put those desires in us right like he put certain things we long for and desire inside each and every one of us and, and many of them are very similar right like all of us i would say long to be happy we long to be loved we long to have peace with others with god you know we, we long for for certain things and and god has not only made these desires but he has also provided the way these desires are met right so we are thirsty and God provides water, you know, to satisfy that desire, right? We long for love and friendships and God gives us friends. He gives us family. He gives us, you know, ways to communicate with people. Even during COVID, we can still keep up people virtually. You know, God gives us a longing for, for beauty and we have sunsets and oceans and mountains. 
Um, and so God gives us the way these desires are met, and those are those are good. Those are good acts of creation. Um, but whether they're mountains or their hobbies or their friendships or whatever it is that that, is, that God has made, it is never meant to be the number one love. It, it's just not meant. God made us, and He made us in a certain way that there is one thing that's supposed to control us that we're supposed to find our most affections for, and it's not supposed to be creation. The Bible says if you try to find your number one love in any act of creation. So all the things I just listed, from football to, to, a, to a wife to money, God says that that is not going to satisfy you. And actually, it's, it's going to just self-destruct us because we're trying to put something in our hearts as the number one that's not meant to be there, right? And so you might be asking me now then, okay, Owen, so what is the number one love we're supposed to have? Like, what does the Bible say? You know, it's, it's less important what I say. What does the Bible say should be my number one love? What should, what should my heart be controlled by? And it's in this verse. You, you saw it right here. So verse 14 again. The love of Christ controls us. That's what we were made for. We were made for the love of Christ to dominate our hearts and our affections. And that's what Christians have boasted about and, and taught on and preached for 2,000 years is that the love of Jesus Christ is the greatest reality there is in the entire world. That, that God loves his people, us, that are weak and sinful and rebellious. And he loves us with a perfect love and this love is so overwhelming, Paul says, that it actually should control you, right? And so the, the Bible, think, think about this if you've never thought about this. The Bible says that God knows every single thing about you, right? So this one letter, Romans 2, says that God knows our secrets, right? The things that you're ashamed to even admit to, you, the ones you love most, that you trust the most. God knows your, the secrets of you. He knows every, you know, lustful thought you've had towards someone that's not your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. He knows every selfish motivation you've had, even when you do acts of good. Right? He, he knows all the things you've ever done, all your thoughts, all your actions. He knows all of that, the Bible says. And this is what's amazing. The Bible says that God loves you with a full and complete love, despite all of the things that are unworthy of, of you, uh, unworthy of his love. Like he, he knows you completely and fully, and yet he loves you. And isn't that what we all long for, right? We don't, we don't want to put on like a mask and a facade and then someone loves like a fake version of Owen or a fake version of you. We want someone to know us completely and truly and yet love us despite our faults. And God who made us, who created us, who knows our secrets, he loves you completely and fully. And that's the love that will only satisfy you. That's the only love that, that will satisfy you. The love of Jesus is what should control our hearts. Nothing else should be our greatest love. And that's, again, what Christians from all centuries have agreed with, right? That, that main theme from the Bible, that the love of Christ should control us. And if you, so if you're tracking with me right here, then you should be wondering, you know, why? Like, what is it about Jesus' love that's better than my wife's love? What is it so, about Jesus that's better than, you know, whatever hobby or whatever thing I love most? And that's where we come to point two. And it's going to be the rest of these two verses here. And so the second point I have is that, and again, I'm using the personal way to write this because I want it to be personal is that Jesus' love should control me because he died and rose again for me. Jesus' love should control me because he died and rose again for me. But this is what it says. The love of Christ controls us. And then here's point two. Because, why does Christ's love control us? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. That is Jesus. Jesus has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So it's very clear here, if you just count the word died, it's, it's said like three times here. 
It's actually said four times here. Four times in two verses. So that's a very, that means it's very important, right? And it's Jesus Christ's death is the proof of his amazing love for us. And so this verse says, don't skip past this. You know, this is something, if you're a Christian or if you just proclaim to, to be a Christian, but you're not really sure exactly where you are, you've heard this a million times probably, but don't skip past this, that there is a man named Jesus Christ who when you deserve to die, he died instead of you. He took your place. He was your substitute. You were the one who deserved to die, and yet he died for you. That is so amazing, but it's said so many times that it can become kind of just common, but this should not be common because it's the most wonderful and glorious reality in the entire universe, right? Just think in earthly terms, right? Like maybe you've seen a movie or read a book. Is there any greater love than when a person dies for another person? Is there anything greater than that? When a person willingly dies for another person, and it's because they love them so much. They wouldn't be willing to die for them unless they love them. And that love has got to be just, just astronomical because they're willing to end their life for that person. And so this verse is saying, again, Jesus willingly gave up his life so that we could have life. That is the center and that is the heartbeat of Christianity is that God the Father sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live a perfect life, to die the death on the cross that, that we deserved. We deserve to die on the cross is what this verse is saying. But Jesus willingly died on our behalf. And so think about this. You have Jesus who willingly came to die and suffered a horrible, horrible death that we deserved. But also think about God the Father sending his son to suffer. And if there's anything that's worse than you suffering and having to go through horrible pain, it's your child or your wife. And so God the Father and Jesus Christ both demonstrate their enormous love for you and me and that Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And so the Bible is clear that when, when we read, if you ever read the, the account of Jesus dying on the cross, that's actually supposed to be you. That is supposed to be you. Because the Bible says that we, because of our sins, it uses that word sins, we, because of our sins, deserve God's good punishment. His good punishment, because he is a good judge who punishes evil. The Bible says that, that we live in God's world, right? He created the world, he created us. We live under his rule. We live under... Um, we, we, we receive his blessings, right? He gives us so many good things. And how do we respond to him? Well, for, for many people who are, who are not believing in Christ, it's maybe not that they just like shake their fist at God all the time, but really it's that they just live their lives as if God wasn't even real, as if God wasn't alive, as if God wasn't glorious. Just, just living a life barely acknowledging God. It might be on like the, the 20th priority in your, in your priorities that you have in your life. And if we are honest, that's just the way even us Christians sometimes live. Just God is down the list of our priorities. We don't, we don't love him. We don't have affection for him. We don't, we don't live in ways that he wants us to. And we also live in ways that are, that are clearly just offensive to him. And we neglect the things that he says are good and right. We, we don't care for the poor as he commands us. You know, even if we're not familiar with the Bible, it's like we know that there are certain good things we should do that we don't do. We know that we should be less selfish, but we, we stay inside when we know our friend needs help, right? There's many examples just that prove that we just don't live how we even think we should live, or not even thinking about what, how God says we should live. And so it is against this God who we ignore and who we offend and who we don't love that the Bible says we will one day stand in front of him in judgment. And again, Romans 2, where it talks about our secrets, God knows him our secrets will be judged before God. And that is a, a dreadful thing to stand before God in judgment, is what the Bible says. Because he knows us perfectly, and he knows that we are not 
righteous. We are not good because of our sin, because we rebel and turn away from him. And I don't, I don't want you to think, I used to think this before I was a Christian. I used to think that because God is gracious and loving, that judgment day is going to be okay for me because God is just generally pleased with me. That I would not, I would not, <laughs> do not go to judgment day with that thought. Do not go to judgment day taking advantage of God's grace, taking advantage of his love in one sense. And you know what I mean by taking advantage of? Saying like, I'm just going to live however I want and God is probably going to forgive me because he's a loving God. That, that proves you don't love God. It proves that you don't care about God. And so let the love of Christ wash over you if you're feeling that conviction, if you're feeling just dirty and sinful. Let the love of Christ wash over you from this verse that Jesus says it four times. He died on your behalf. He died for you. And you might not recognize that you need Jesus to die for you. But I just beg you, look at this verse. Pray to God and just think about Jesus. Why did he even have to come to earth? Why would the Son of God have to come? Why did he die so young if he was so powerful? And the answer is not because he was, you know, out of control. The answer is not because it was just a great example of love. The answer is there was an actual penalty to pay and Jesus paid it on your behalf. And so I just plead with you to consider the love of Christ that he has for you, right? That's why I had you write down the word me on your paper because it's not just he loves people in general. He loves you. He loves you sitting here with a fierce and, and relentless love. He loves you. And I want you to also consider from this verse, which is so important, so important is that Jesus, if you notice in the, in the, last, the last word in these two verses is the word raised. And that is, again, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The most glorious reality is that Jesus, he is not dead, right? So the reason that Christ's love can control Paul 30 years after he died and all Christians, because Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose again. He rose, which proved that he actually did defeat death, proved he actually did defeat sin on your behalf, and it proves that we should listen to him. We should trust him. We should place our, our faith in him. And so look to Jesus and, and pray to God that you would be controlled by Christ's love. I, I think about it like this, like your heart is like a puzzle and the most important piece, right in the middle, the biggest, most important piece is the love of Christ. That's what you were made for. That, that's, the puzzle piece was made right there, the love of Christ. If we're trying to put other things in there, if you've ever taken a puzzle and you have like a weird piece and you're trying to smush it in, the puzzle doesn't get complete and you ruin the piece. I think that's such a good analogy. If like, if I try to make my, my wife like the center of my heart, like I'm going to hurt her by trying to make her the center, by trying to jam her in. And she's not, she's not supposed to be the number one love in my life, right? Any spouse is not supposed to have each other be the number one love. It will just hurt them and it'll ultimately... It's, it's not what we're made for. We're made for Jesus to be right in the middle and then everything else falls in around it, right? We're made for the love of Christ. And even beyond like the spouse thing too, it's like, it's not even just that she's not gonna like, like even an like the best earthly spouse there ever was could not be in that middle, right? And I can speak for myself, you know, I fail my wife. I, I sin against her. I'm not gracious towards her. I don't serve her as I should. And it pains me to realize this kind of stuff. But I have hope that one, Jesus is changing me. But also, too, that I know she loves Jesus more than she loves me. And some of you who are listening might think that's like the craziest thing in the world. Um, but I truly am so thankful that she loves Jesus more than me. Because Jesus is more worthy than me. He is absolutely more worthy than me. Um, I, I will fit best in her life if I am second. As crazy as that might be to some of you to sound. Your kids will fit best in your life if they are second or third. Jesus must be the center. And then everything else in your life will just be a good gift of creation, what it's supposed to be, a gift, it, but not the center driving force of your life. But that guy who played football that I told you about, he can enjoy football and love football and work hard 
And when his career is over, he can praise God, right? Could you praise God if your, your greatest love was taken away right now? Could you still be happy and, and content in Jesus? And so I, I hope you guys are, are seeing from this verse just how wonderful Jesus is and how worthy he is of having the center of our hearts. And I, and I want to point out just lastly in this second point that, you know, I've been talking about Christ's love for us and I've been hinting at this, but it's very clear here that it's impossible to actually receive the love of Christ and not love him primarily as our number one love in return. You can't do it. If you have actually experienced the love of Christ, then Jesus Christ will be your number one desire and love. So I hope that's encouraging for you Christians here. If you're, if you're not a believer, if you're questioning, I hope this might challenge you because, again, the Bible says that, that Christians love Jesus Christ with all their heart. This verse in verse 15 um, says that he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. And so a mark of a Christian, so if you're wondering, like, how can I even know if I'm a Christian? Are you living for Jesus? Because the Bible says that every Christian is going to live for Jesus as a response to the love they have received, right? And it's important to just clarify here that it's not that we love Jesus and then he loves us back. That's why I clarified at the start, Christ's love comes to me and then I love and respond. That's, that's how it is always with God. You cannot love God enough to make him love you. We couldn't do enough. Jesus died for us. He loves you and we love in response. That is, it might seem like small if you're not familiar with the Bible, but that's actually a very, very big and important reality. That It's that Christ's love changes us to love him. And so, if you know the love of Christ, again, what it's saying here is that you are living for Jesus Christ. You long to live for him. You long to glorify him. You want to make him um, seem great in other people's eyes. You want people to know him and love him, right? And so, look, look at just at your own life and just, just consider, you know? Um, I'm not trying to just like make you all feel terrible. I'm trying to say like generally, look, if you're loving Jesus and you long to live for him, even if sometimes you mess up, praise God. Praise God that he has done a work in your heart. And if you're, if you're saying, maybe he's not the thing I'm living for, then I would say, look to Jesus. He, he loves you perfectly, right? You can be this person that is controlled by the love of Christ if you understand the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I, I want to make just a quick aside here because it, it, he says the word all here, and it, it, he says it a few times. Um, I've heard it said before that like Christ, Jesus has died for all. It says it here. So that means every person, no matter what they believe, is going to be saved no matter their faith. And you know, it's, it's, I see the point here, and it's actually a fair point because the word all sounds like just all, like all people. But I just want you to notice, I'm not going to go too deep in this, but I want you to notice that when he says he died for all, he then explains the all by saying those who live for Jesus Christ now and not themselves. So when Paul is saying the word all, he's not saying every single person, but he's saying like for all of those who believe and love God, Jesus Christ died for them, right? So maybe that doesn't satisfy you completely, but I just want to point that out. That the all does not mean every person. So I don't want you to think that you can rest assured, like, oh, Jesus died for me regardless of how I love him. So actually the Bible says that Jesus died for you and that you know that by your love for him in response to him. So that's just a really quick aside I wanted to point out. And I also wanted you guys to notice that there's a pretty striking indictment here. It's pretty offensive. Um, maybe you thought this when you read this at first. He says, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So if you think about that kind of carefully, is he saying that all people who don't live for Jesus are just like selfish jerks who like only live for themselves? You know, like you might read that and, or hear that and be like, I, I, I can name like five people right now who are not Christians who are not selfish at all. Who, well, I don't think Paul is saying that all people who don't believe in Jesus are selfish jerks. I, 
I really do not believe that at all. Don't take that away from what you read here. But I think what he is trying to do is trying to challenge us and say, what are your motivations really? Right? Like when you, when you dig really deep down into your best, even your best deeds, are your motives like pure for good? Are they mixed? Are they actually kind of not that good? Like, so I, I thought about, I thought about this example. So imagine that a group of people are going to serve at a soup kitchen on a Friday night, right? Like on face value, that is amazing, right? Taking their free time, their free Friday night to go serve other people. It's like check for all of them. You know, if you dig deep down though, that's, that's where I think Paul is challenging us. So maybe one guy is going to the soup kitchen because he wants to feel good about himself. You know, he feels good when he serves. He feels good. His, his, his self-esteem goes up when he cares for other people. And it's like, when you think about that, you're saying that you're going to serve others so that you can feel good about yourself, which that's not really a good motive, you know? Or if you think about another person who goes, maybe he goes because he, there's another cute girl that he likes that's volunteering and he wants to impress her. It's like, so you're serving to like impress a girl, you know? Or maybe, maybe, you know, someone goes because they want to put it on their resume for college. It's like, okay, so you want to get into college, so you go serve. You know, you know what I'm trying to say here? Like even our motives for like the best things we can do are, are oftentimes sadly just evil to say that word they're, they're evil they're they're wrong they're they're mixed with good and so paul is saying you know look down into your heart right look down into your heart all those who are not controlled by the love of christ even at the very best have these mixed motives in their heart where they even do things for their family because they feel good about themselves or to be able to put it on their instagram and people think they're really great and to praise them you know so so I think this is just a really good, again, it's a test of belief and it's also maybe a challenge if you're not a follower of Jesus. What are you really living for? You know, not just like quickly, like, oh, I'm living for my friends and family, but like deep down, like what are you really, really living for? What is it that you love most in the world? Is it Jesus? Is it something else, right? Do you long for Jesus Christ to be glorified? Do you long for your friends to know Jesus? Do you, do you long to wake up and, and go to church on a Sunday and read your Bible? And not, I'm not saying every day you have to be controlled by this amazing, I'm happy all the time in Jesus, but over the course of your life, uh, your Christian life, your life should be marked by increasing love and desire for Jesus, even if it's not every single day. And so as we, as we just wrap up here, I just want to give one challenge to, to you, um, whether you profess to be a Christian or you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you and I want to look back again at that, that first phrase actually. So in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this and i want to highlight that word concluded for my conclusion that sounds kind of funny but the word concluded for my conclusion to conclude something implies that there is a like a careful process of like reasoning and like weighing alternatives and analyzing and then you come to like a like a firm decision after going through this process right and so i don't want you to think that the love of christ is like oh yeah it's just cool thing I'm, i'm down for it you know like christians for all centuries they're not just people who are like, they feel these warm fuzzies about Jesus, but no, they study Jesus Christ. They study his life. They study his death. They study his resurrection. They, they study the Old Testament prophecies of him. What I'm trying to say is they come to a careful determination that they want to follow and love Jesus Christ. It's not just like they wake up one day and they're like, I feel pretty good about Jesus today, so I want to be controlled by his love. Usually, like many of you who are Christians here could attest, like it was a long time kind of a process of seeing like, okay, wow, I'm starting to believe that Jesus is really true when he says this. And wow, he says, I have sinned and I see that. And it's this process. And so if you're here and you're, and you're not a believer or, or you profess to be one, but you're not sure, I just want to challenge you to come to a conclusion, which means to investigate, to spend time 
thinking about these topics that you've heard today, thinking about um, the, the verses we've read, the, the songs we've sung, the, the prayers you have heard, I want you to come to a conclusion, right? And so if you, after a, a careful process of investigating and looking into Jesus, you come to a conclusion, I, I guarantee that if you have a Christian friend who dragged you here, that they're not going to like, they, they just want you to truly for yourself come to a conclusion, right? And so I just want to give you that challenge, right? And, and in one sense, it's like, I'm challenging you to think about this because it's the greatest love in the world, right? That's what we think it is. I'm not trying to get you to like wake up at 4 a.m. to do some horrible duty. It's like the love of Christ is incredible. And myself, but more broadly, like Christians, we want you to love Jesus with all of your heart. So that is our hope and desire. We, we love you if you're here and you're not a believer. If you were brought here by a friend, I would encourage you to just, just follow up with that friend. Ask them, how can I make the next step? How can I investigate this more? And again, if you're here and you don't know anybody here, come talk to myself or, or Joey, who was up front earlier, and we would love to talk to you about what it means to be controlled by the love of Christ. Um, and so let me pray for us as we finish, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Um, Father, just thank you for this time we had. Um, we just praise you for your great love. We praise you for Jesus Christ, your Son. I pray that all of us here would have Jesus as our number one controlling love. Um, would we long to know Jesus? Would we long to be in fellowship with him? Would we see that his friendship is the greatest friendship there ever is? Would we just be so thankful to you, God, for the many blessings you've given us, but especially for the gift of salvation that you've given to us? And I just pray that if there's anybody here or watching online that does not know Jesus, that you would just, by your spirit, bring them to know and love Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.